Welcome to Reframing Ministries with your host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Here's Colleen. Hi, my name is Colleen Swindoll-Thompson, the director of Reframing Ministries. And today I get the honor and privilege of interviewing James E. Ward, pastor of Insight Church in Chicago. James, thank you for being with me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for, for having me. I'm really, really honored to be here. And you bet. So grateful for you and your family and the the great work that you've been doing over the years and are continuing to do. So thank you. Thank you. Well, as we record today, um, this is, we are preparing for a new year. It probably will be watched in a lot of years. But um, what we want to talk about today is how to find a foundation or a place to land in the world that we live in. One of the quotes that I found comes from a series that we're going to be airing in January, and it's Overcoming Depravity's Dangerous Undertow. And in it, he, write, he quotes from Billy Graham's work, World Aflame. And he said, society has become so obsessed with sex that it seeps from all the pores of our national life. Sex is on the front page of everything. Many heroic leaders have tried in vain to deal with pornography, obscenities, and yet they find they're unable to determine the de definition of either of those. If we cannot degree on the length of a foot, it's because we have lost our yardstick. Wow. No one has ever improved upon the moral yardstick given to man in the Ten Commandments. There's been a growing preoccupation of our writers with the social sewers, the broken homes of disloyal parents and unloved children, the bedroom of the prostitute, the Cannery Row brothel, a street corner gang of brutal teenage delinquents. We need help. The immutable law of sowing and reaping has been held in sway. And today, James, I want you to share with us, what does it practically mean to have a moral foundation that comes from scripture and invades our lives? Sure, you know, um, that's an amazing quote. Uh, by the way, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, one of the things just, just recently, um, as a matter of fact, I've been talking about um, gun violence, been asked to do some interviews and some op-eds and editorials and things. And one of the things I talked about was gun violence, but also dealing with what's called spiritual and moral law. Um, I think that we've lost our way as a nation by uh, distancing ourselves from spiritual and moral law, which are the foundations of civil law. In other words, we, we tend to take a one-dimensional approach uh, to simply dealing with civil, civil law and everything now is according to the constitutions and I have a right to do this and this group has a right to do everything based upon civil law. But Colleen, when you remove the foundation of spiritual and moral law, civil law implodes. And the reason it does so is because you cannot legislate morality. There's nothing that Congress can do or the Supreme Court or any politician can do to govern the human heart. And the Word of God clearly tells us that the heart is, is, is wicked, is desperately wicked. Who can know the heart? Jesus himself tells us that all of the evil things, that, that adulteries and murders, all of these things come from within. Fornication, these things come from within the human heart and defile people. And so we're, we're in a situation now that our nation, as, as, as we distance ourselves from God and from God's Word, we're seeing the, the fallacy of civil law without spiritual and moral law. That is, that is really what I believe our founding fathers at least intended with the statement, in God we trust, mm. that there must be uh, uh, this, this, this foundation that we, we maintain, these moorings 
of spiritual and moral law that, that govern our heart. We need, to, we need to return to those foundations. Okay, so how, before we go into that from your book, which I love, mm-hmm. how do you define social law, spiritual law, and moral law? Sure, yeah. Well, spiritual law is, is law that comes from God. There are some things that, uh, for example, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, some things that God himself has communicated to mankind that governs mankind according to his righteous standards. And God will then hold humanity accountable for how we interact with his law uh, based upon his word. That is why we, we have to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, because there's no way for us to, to, to reach that standard or to maintain that standard outside of faith in Christ. But spiritual law has to do with God governing humanity. Um, civil law has to do with the government governing human society. But moral law has to do with a person's capacity to self-govern. In other words, based upon spiritual law, in terms of what it is that God communicates to me, I now, in terms of moral law, have to govern myself based upon spiritual law. And if I'm not able to govern govern myself based upon moral law, then civil law has to now govern me because I'm not able to govern myself. And so what you're saying is that the, the nation now is having to almost clamp down on society and, and take the place of God of trying to determine what is morally and what is not morally right. For example, you take, you take traditional marriage, you take, you take uh, just the idea of a traditional marriage as we see according to God's word, that it really becomes confusing that, that when people are not able to govern themselves based upon God's spiritual law, you really begin to see a distortion of civil and social law. It was never intended to determine morality. It was never intended to replace God in terms of his sovereignty, in terms of how he manages and oversees a society, you cannot undo or violate the spiritual laws that God has given to us, which have consequences. Mm-hmm. And so even in some areas of our nation right now, we're beginning to experience the consequences. You just talked about sowing and reaping. Yes. That's a spiritual law that we've sown to certain ideas that have violated God's spiritual law. Mm-hmm. And we're beginning to reap the consequences of, of those. And, um, you know, may God help us. I say sometimes we, we often say, uh, God bless America. We should be saying, God have mercy on America. Oh, And yes. that, that brings, brings the blessing if we can get back to posturing ourselves the right way in relationship to him and his word. Well, so really what you're talking about, and we're going to go into this more in detail, mm-hmm. is taking from um, spiritual law, integrating into our lives, what the Lord says, and making that then, like the governor of a car, our own governor inside a moral position. In fact, you mentioned, um, just a minute ago, you mentioned the um, Declaration of Independence. Yes. And in it, you say the definition of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You say you can liberate yourself by drastically changing your perspective. Mm By doing so, it will cause you, to, cause you to see your circumstances differently and allow you to realize new doors of possibility are awaiting you yes. when we make the mind shift. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and you said our mentality or mode of thought ultimately, de- ultimately determines the quality of our lives. What does that shift look like? Because mm-hmm. I... I have found it through pain, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there are so many ways the Lord can disrupt our lives. Talk to me about that. Sure. You know, I I talked about that and I quoted, you know, Thomas Jefferson. We've we've heard this idea, um, you know, and he talks about life, 
liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Yes. Very important words, very powerful words. But I say from, a, from a, the perspective of dealing with victim mentality, being free from victim mentality, instead of approaching it as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I say I, I would change the order to liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and life. And the reason I would change that order in terms of that being a key in terms of how we actually flesh out God's purposes, how do we actually flesh out our lives to liberty, the pursuit of happiness and life is for this reason. Colleen, you can't do anything while you're in bondage. There's, there's, there's no productivity. There's no that can take place. There's no forward progress that can ever take place when a person is confined in any way, whether that's a physical prison, an emotional prison or a spiritual prison. You cannot produce, you cannot move forward, you cannot um, experience the things that God has for you if you are bound. Mm -hmm. It's amazing that the word in, in Jesus' mandate, he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to, to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to set the captive free. Mm -hmm. The first ministry of Jesus we see by his own admission is to set captives free. That's part of the gospel is freeing people. So therefore, Liberty has to come first. And once I'm free, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, or even physically, now I'm free to pursue happiness. Mm. I'm free to pursue God's purposes for my life. I'm free to pursue the dreams, the things that God has placed into my heart, my destiny, my calling, my ministry, you know, the, uh, the way that God can use my life to be a blessing to other people. I'm only free to pursue those things once I've first been liberated. And as I've been liberated, now I'm free to pursue happiness. I'm able to pursue fulfillment. That leads to me fulfilling and living out my life. Mm. My life now becomes the expression or the, the outshining of me pursuing the things that God has put, put upon my heart and placed within my heart. But I can only do that when I'm liberated. And so the idea of even zero victim mentality, liberate yourself from the mentality of defeat, uh, the Lord put it in my heart several years ago that I began to see and understand that so many, even of God's people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, understand the word of God, understand the promises of God's word. But yet if we're in bondage and we're not able to move forward in God's purposes and callings for our lives, then we'll never live. We'll never get to a place that we're able to pursue and experience happiness, which actually leads to life. And when I talk about leading, living life, we're not just talking about surviving. We're not just talking about being alive, but we're actually talking about living out the life that God intended for us, that life that he had in mind when he tells Jeremiah, before you were formed, I ordained you. I called you to be a prophet to the nations. There's some things that God has in mind for every individual on this, on this planet. And even when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, those things don't materialize automatically. If we remain in bondage, and we're not free, then we're not free to move forward to begin to pursue those things which lives out the fruitful life that God has intended us to live. And so I, I encourage your, your viewers and your listeners um, to get a hold of this book and start this journey of, of zero victim mentality. This book is yes. so good. <laughs> I you. love it. And as Thank always, you. I'm writing all the way through it. Sure. Okay, so freeing us from bondage. My mm -hmm. question is sometimes um, we don't know that we're in bondage. Yep. But we are because our mentality is, well, I would do that if, mm -hmm. or I would pursue that, but I can't. Sure. So speak to the, the individual who believes they're in bondage, sure. but they maybe are not in bondage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
Well, it all again comes back to the the standard of God's word, and in any situation in life, you just you just mentioned this this idea of the yardstick. Every every situation requires a standard to which we measure mm. um, against that standard to really determine the, the length or the scope of something. You have to start with a standard. Mm. God's word represents the standard for humanity. The only reason we can know that, uh, you know, that a, a foot is 12 inches is because we've, we've defined that standard. And God's word is that standard definition for all of humanity. And many times we don't discover um, that we're in bondage in life or we believe that we are in bondage when we're really not. Yes. Because we're measuring ourselves and our circumstances against our own limited perspective. Or we're measuring ourselves against the lives of other people, comparing ourselves one to another. Instead of comparing ourselves against the, the standard of God's word and, re and comparing our lives against the standard of his purposes. And so that's where the introduction of scripture, the introduction of us um, uh, being, being informed according to God's word is necessary because it helps us size our lives up mm. in terms of us pursuing the life that God intended versus um, managing the life that we're, we're, we're basically capable of accomplishing in our own strength. And so everything begins with God's word. And as we continue to move forward on that, on that track of, of scripture, God begins to expose to us the realities of um, what he has for us as opposed to where we're living in life. Uh, when I was in, in uh, grad school, uh, this guy, Grant, uh, Grant uh, Osborne, he had this concept called the hermeneutical spiral. Yes, and the hermeneutical I love hermeneutics. <laughs> he says the hermeneutical spiral works this way, is that when you read scripture, right. scripture reads you. Yes. And the more we spend time in God's word, it begins to read us. We begin to locate ourselves and that was the first question when, when Adam fell from God's purposes. The first question that God asks Adam is, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was, but Adam needed to locate himself. And I think that in many situations in life that we go through life, that if we don't take time to stop and locate ourselves in relationship to God, in relationship to God's word, you can be completely lost and be in the wrong geographical location if, you're, if you don't locate yourself relative to your point of origin and your point of destination. And so I think that we really need to begin to go through this process of locating ourselves mm. and uh, seeing our, ourselves in light of scripture. It helps us determine where we are. Mm. And that, that becomes so much more vital as we live. Uh, time waits for no one. And I even think that in many cases we have a window of time that I encourage our young adults all the time that the decisions you make during this series mm. season of your life will set the trajectory for the remainder of your life and uh, we have to be timely just in terms of our ability to locate ourselves and yeah, to discover where we are. That's really critical because on the GPS, if, we're tr if we plug in a, uh, wherever we want to be, mm -hmm. then it's going to say, well, where do you start? Yes, yeah, it always well, starts. Well, it'll there. never give right. you directions yeah. if you say, I don't know. Yeah, that's correct. So we have to find out mm -hmm. where am I now? And you talk about that in your book as the victim mindset versus the... Um, Versus the, which one is it? Mm -hmm. The positive mindset. Yep. Zero victim mindset. Yep, victim mindset or zero victim mindset. There you go. And you, you begin with cultivating a values-based Christian foundation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is a choice which includes mental preparation. Yes. yes. Then you list, know your environment or the SWOT mm -hmm. method, which I'm going to ask you mm -hmm. to explain. Mm -hmm. Know your self-values and beliefs. Yep. Secure necessary assistance for support. We yep. can't do this alone. Yep. 
preconditioning of the mind, expect the unexpected. How true is that? Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah, when we get right. into bondage a lot. Too. Is when the unexpected happens and then we think, well, I don't know what to do. Right. The Lord is actually freeing us from bondage, but we've got to dive into our circumstances right. and yeah. find out where we are to begin with and mm -hmm. then envision victory. So yeah. talk to me about going from the perception of threat, yeah. which is a victim mentality, to a no victim mentality, which sets its beliefs on freedom. Sure, yeah. So practically speaking, I, I, I begin in the, in the book talking about the world is a hostile place. Let's, let's begin there. The, the world, I say, is, is perfectly designed to make victims out of each of us, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our gender, our culture, where we're from, regardless of our race, all of those things. The world is perfectly designed to make victims out of each of us. And we especially know from a, 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 a Bible-centered worldview, a Christ-centered worldview, we know that the world is fallen, that imperfect people create imperfect systems. Which is um, why civil justice doesn't work. It's a broken it'll, it'll, system it'll trying work. to govern broken people. That's absolutely correct. You know, and as we, as we say, sometimes bad things do happen to, to good people. There's, there's no greater story of that than looking at the life of Joseph, Joseph yes. which we see in the beginning of Scripture of the kinds of injustices that Joseph went through and the right attitude. But number one is, is, is practically speaking, when, you, when I say know your environment, mm -hmm. it starts in any situation by, by situational analysis, by analyzing my environment, knowing that I'm in a hostile situation. You know, Paul, Paul makes the statement that we're to uh, endure hardship like good Christian soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. And so any soldier who's going into battle it is vital for that soldier to analyze the hostile territory into which they're going. They have to know the topography. They need to know what areas are, are a threat, what areas are, are not a threat. There's, there's quite a bit of analysis that goes in place. And so when we know our environment and discover our environment is step number one to moving towards a zero victim mindset, it's simply being, being, down, being able to sit down and acknowledge the conditions and the circumstances around us, whether they're favorable or unfavorable. For example, every one of us is born into a set of pre-existing circumstances. I had no control over where I was born. Uh, for some people, maybe their parents split up or maybe they were born in a single parent home. Some children may, may not have known their parents at all. Some may have grown up in poverty, may have grown up in hardship in a third world country. There's a number of different um, uh, variables that determine the environment in which a person grows up or a person is developed. And the more we learn and understand about that environment, the more you can understand the workplace. If you have certain employees that are edgy and certain, you know, that have temperamental challenges, the more you understand about your external environment, the more favorable uh, you'll, you'll be in navigating your way through that environment without issues of victimization, number one. Secondly, know yourself, know your internal environment. So now that I've assessed the world around me, I need to as assess the world within me. Okay, I'm going to ask you something sure. real quick. I'm inter interrupting. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. But so many people get caught up in yeah. this, well, poor me. Sure. I was born into this family. Yeah. Or I was born this color. Mm -hmm. Or I was born mm -hmm. with this mm -hmm. set of financial mm -hmm. things. Or I was born handicapped. Yeah. They already are in bondage. Right, right. Absolutely. So that already identifies. Yep one area where we can have a pitfall? It's, it's huge. I think it's, it's very much underestimated. Um, I, I write in the, in the book of how I grew up in the South, you know, at the, at yes. the end of, 
Um, the school system still being segregated, the process of integration, growing up as a black kid, being bused to the white side of town. I was able in third grade, by God's grace, to at least understand the environment and to, mm. to see how to navigate my way through that, which made a tremendous impact on my, on my future life. And so it's, it's important to, to assess our environment and to know uh, the conditions that are, that are around us, to, to have a proper situational analysis. And never one time in the book yeah. do you ever have a negative word. In right. fact, you no. say when you yeah. were being bused, yeah. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, yeah. Yeah. and you were noticing the other side of the track, so to mm -hmm. speak, the mm -hmm. houses were nicer, yeah. Yeah. but yet your teacher made yeah. an irreplaceable impact on yes. your life. Yes. You speak so positively of it where so mm -hmm. many would say, well, I had to get bused to this mm -hmm. area or that area, yeah. and there's a negative slant. Yeah. You don't have that. No, not at all. And, and I think that, again, not understanding deep theology, but I, I, I did have the benefit of growing up in a Christian home mm -hmm that created a framework for me. And that is where even as a child, my relationship with Christ was so vital to me. And so when we talk about being born into a, a hostile environment that's less than ideal, the great thing about, about our Lord Jesus is that the Word of God says, He saves to the uttermost mm. those that come to Him through God, which simply means that Jesus can save anyone from anywhere to anywhere. So when, when we actually live by faith and, and, and receive the ministry of the Lord and surrender our lives to Him, it's an easy thing from God to, for God to take us from anywhere to anywhere when He's involved. We can't do that on our own. Yeah. And so I end this, this process of, of, of acknowledging that we can't free ourselves from victim mentality without the help of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We can't do it on our own. But He saves to the uttermost those who come uh, uh, to Him, come to mm -hmm. God through Him. And so he's able to neutralize the effects of these, these unfavorable environments that we're born into, of which we have no control. Jesus is the great neutralize, neutralizer who can level the playing field, you know, at the, at the foot of the and cross. That is so important. It is so important because you hear everything, oh, this isn't fair. Yeah. I'm right. so tired of right. the word. Yep. This isn't fair. Yep. Who's defining fair? Where's sure. the yardstick? Yep. Yep. Fair, according to Christ, is his son died. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, let's let's start with where he was. Yep. We're still living and breathing and there's yep. a purpose for us. Absolutely. So as we know our environment mm -hmm. and then we assess where we are, mm -hmm. then we go into the support and preconditioning of the mind. What yes. do you mean by that? Preconditioning of the mind. I use an analogy to help explain this. I talk about the, I use the, the picture of a, of a catcher in baseball. Yes. And so, so Colleen, for, for a catcher in baseball who's, who's squatting behind home plate, uh, I say the pitcher is a bad guy. <laughs> any, any man who will throw a, a rock-hard, solid object at you at 100 miles per hour, that guy's a bad guy. So let's just <laughs> I'd say be the, terrified. So let's just say the pitcher is a bad guy. But it's the catcher's job to, to catch these pitches. And the thing that makes a catcher successful is the fact that he has preconditioned his mind hmm. to, to accept or to manage something that could be life-threatening to him. In other oh words, my gosh, if, say that if again. he's preconditioned he, his mind, he's preconditioned his mind to, manage to successfully manage something that could be life-threatening. So in other words, if a, cat, if a catcher is caught off guard by a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, he'd die. But how does a catcher prepare himself? Number one, he knows the pitch is coming. He preconditions his mind 
to expect the pitch. He wears the right protective equipment. But then he postures himself with his hands out, waiting for the pitch to come. And the simple fact that he has preconditioned his mind to catch this pitch, that is the thing that transforms that scenario from being life-threatening to him to now it's a game. It's something that's enjoyable to him. Why? Because he preconditions a hostility. And if we can look at our circumstances in life to know that five years from now, two years from now, tomorrow, for example, some things are going to come my way that can be damaging to me. Some things are coming my way that can be uh, life threatening to me. And many times we take the attitude that, you know, that faith is just believing everything is going to be fine and there's not going to be any challenges. No, faith does not protect us from the challenges. It gets us through them. It's, it's God's gift to us to get through those, those circumstances. But if we begin to pre precondition our mind to know that the world is a hostile place, that some challenges are going to come, and if we prepare ourselves to manage them and to deal with them the same way that a catcher manages and prepares himself to receive a pitch, it puts us in a position that we are much more likely to go through that situation successfully and to not be victimized by it. Mm. I've, I've discovered as a pastor and a, and a coach and talking with people over the years that the people who do well in life are people who learn to manage their challenges well. Yes. They're, they're coming. Yes. And many times we begin to avoid them and we begin to put those things on the shelf. But when we learn to manage the challenges of life well, that has everything to do with, with how well we actually do in life. And, and again, the mind is the battlefield. That is the place that we have to start this process of preconditioning our mind to know that these things are going to come. I think that's fantastic because you said, and with the victim mentality, there's a, the perception yes. of yeah. a threat. Yep may not be there, yep. but it's a perception of. Yes. But we know from Scripture yep. that this world is a hostile place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Things are going to happen that are bad. Yes, We are told that in Scripture, but mm -hmm. then we're also promised that we are more than victorious. Absolutely. Through Christ, yes. not, not because of me helping right. Christ. Right. 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 Now, there are two modes of thinking that you talked about, and we're going to continue on this, but okay. Carol DeWick in her book, Mindset, okay. talks about this. And she says, if I can get to my sheet, mm -hmm. She says there are two different mindsets. Um, one is a fixed mindset, okay. which says students believe their basic abilities, intelligence, talents, and traits are all fixed. Mm. They have a certain amount that is, that is in them, and then their goal adjusts or settles into it. In a growth mindset, people believe their talents and abilities can be developed yeah. through effort, good teaching, and persistence. They don't necessarily think everyone is the same or anyone can be Einstein, let's say, but they believe everyone can get smarter. Yes. I came across a story. It said um, it was a, a, a shoe salesman. Okay. And he sent two people over to Africa where they had no shoe stores. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first one came back and it said, situation hopeless, no one wears shoes. Right. Right. The next one comes back and says, glorious yeah. business opportunity. Yep. They have no right. shoes. No, shoes. Right. Right. How do we shift yep. from there are no shoes, they don't wear them, forget it, mm -hmm. to this is an amazing opportunity. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I speak to that same idea of, of shifting from a victim mindset to a zero victim mindset in two, two ways. Number one, um, Colleen, there is there has never been a cloudy day. The 
the perception of it being a cloudy day simply means that we are too low in our perspective. Above the clouds, the sun has always been shining. Every day is a sunny day when you go high enough. I'm amazed sometimes that on my flight coming to Dallas here, when you fly high enough above the clouds, there's never been a cloudy day. The cloudiness, the perception of it being cloudy, a dark, dreamy day, a dreary day, I'm under the storm, it's raining. The weather patterns, being under the weather pattern simply means that you are too low and it is possible to rise above the, the weather patterns. It's an issue of perception. But if you only live here on the earth and you stay at a low level of thinking, then you say that today is going to be cloudy, today it's going to rain. Well, if you, if you exist above the weather, weather patterns, there's no rain, there's no cloudiness. It has to do with perception, again, just in terms of you being elevated in your thinking, being elevated in your mentality. And I think that victimization works the same way, that, is, that as long as we live in any area of life, and I'm not being insensitive to us dealing with the challenges, sure. but in any area of life, if we're always underneath the situation, we have to question whether or not by God's grace we can rise above it and change our perspective and change our perception about the situation that we're dealing with. I like to say that victim mentality and zero victim mentality works like a set of lenses. If, I, if I'm here on the set today and if I put on a pair of really dark sunglasses, I can sit here in my chair and say, it is so dark in this room. Would someone please turn on the light because it is dark. I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy the darkness. But if I change my lenses, yeah. then it change, changes the way that I see from my limited perspective. And I think that in so many areas of life that, that, that life conditions us, again, a conditioned mindset that we wear victim lenses. And whether it's in the workplace, there's problems at work, and my husband did this, and my wife did this, and the children are not doing this, and you know the government is not doing this, and the Republicans are in office now, and the Democrats are in office now, oh my and my neighbors are doing this to me. And you, you put on a set of victim lenses, and everywhere you see, you experience victimization. You see the problem, you see the negative. But the same way that you, it is possible to wear victim lenses, we can also wear zero victim lenses, that the perceptions through which I see I do not see myself as a victim. And that's what this book is about. That's mm -hmm. something that by God's grace, I've, I've, I've stepped into it and I'm still growing mm -hmm. on how to put on zero victim lenses that I, I honestly, I don't see myself as a victim. I see myself according to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Now, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, that many times it's an adjustment that has to be made in our heart and our mind and we see scriptures, for example, like Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The mind is the battlefield. Mm -hmm. If we can win these circumstances and overcome these circumstances in our mind, then we begin to experience that victory in every area of our lives. I, I'm amazed, as we were sharing earlier, that, um, that God funnels all of his, his infinite purposes. Our spirits are unlimited. Mm -hmm. But all of those things have to be funneled through the, the understanding of the human mind, that, that we have to channel his purposes through the conduit of our mind. And many times we're engaging the infinite purposes of God, the infinite wisdom, the infinite goodness of God through a finite, limited mind. And one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, which says that God gave Solomon exceedingly great understanding and breadth of mind and large, largeness of heart like the sands of the seashore. Mm. 
that God literally stretched Solomon's mind to a point that it almost had infinite capacity. And we see the glory of Solomon's kingdom. We read about the glory of his kingdom. But that little verse says that God gave him largeness of heart and gave him breadth of mind like the sands of the seashore. And so as we continue to, to move from a victim mentality to a zero victim mentality, which is the mind of Christ, it's the mind of God himself, our minds now are being stretched and conditioned to be more compatible with our spirit. Mm. And we live a more integrated life when our spirit is now uh, congruent and in a situation where it is, it is compatible now to a renewed mind. Mm. It's why the word of God tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Every single day. I'm yeah. thinking of Paul's words time. where he says, may the eyes of your heart yes. be open. Yeah. Yeah. And as a pastor, you know the, all the Greek better than I would, but he's, he's wanting their soul yes. sight yeah. mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. become aware. Yes. I've been living under the clouds, yes, that's exactly but right. I don't have to stay under the clouds. And right. why are we staying under mm -hmm. there? Mm -hmm. We've got mm -hmm. to get out from that. You're absolutely right. Um, one of the th I want to go on to another very, very great thing. You said five sure. behaviors and modes of being in rising above every circumstance. You mm -hmm. listed out five, mm -hmm. five of them, not seeking revenge, yes. which would be a forgiveness bondage, mm -hmm. loving our enemies, yep. intentional decision, and not living by our feelings mm -hmm. on that one. Mm -hmm. The golden rule from Matthew 7, 12, in yes. thinking of others, mm -hmm. to show mercy, and you gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, yes. and then to take the initiative to be responsible. Yes. Okay, those five behaviors, mm -hmm. we're talking about not seeking revenge, yes. to loving our enemies. Mm -hmm. You're asking a lot of us here. God, God, <laughs> God is God asking is. a lot of us, right? <laughs> That's right, let's talk to him about that. <laughs> That's right. What has, what's been the hardest one for you? Sure. Um, I think, I think the, the hardest one has been the, the first one. And yet mm -hmm. it's been the one that I've, I've probably experienced more growth in that area. The first one is, is not seeking revenge. Um, there, there are passages in, in scripture. Uh, for example, 1 Peter chapter 2. There's a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, but especially in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's really amazing and in that, in that passage, um, Peter is communicating to us how Jesus is our example of suffering. Mm. And he's, he's, he's basically mm. making, the, making the case in 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that he's speaking to slaves that, that even when your master treats you in a way that is harsh, that you're to respond in a way that is kind even when your master is being harsh to us. And that by during, enduring grief, by enduring injustice, Peter actually says this, that it is commendable to God and we're to follow Christ who is our example. That, that blows me away that the scripture is communicating to us that by enduring hardship and injustice, it says it's actually commendable to God as we follow the example of Jesus Christ. And we don't, we don't wish hardship on anyone, especially let's deal with our Western Christian, Western American culture. Our goal is to experience as much pleasure as we can and as little pain as possible. That's, that's the, the that's the equation. That's the that's the 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 version, or I should say, the um, the the corrupt view of Christianity yeah. that we've developed in yeah. Western society. That Christianity is all blessing, no hardships at all. When in other places out around the world, they understand that that is not the reality yes. at all. But the Bible actually says that that when we go through these difficult times, it's commendable to God. And what it what it does that in some situations, I believe that 
although God is not punitive, that some challenges that are placed before us are there for our benefit because those are the opportunities for us to grow. Mm. Those are the opportunities for us to become more like Christ, for us to develop and grow in Christ likeness. Romans 8, 29 mm. says that God is, has, has, has pre, uh, preconditioned or predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, for us to grow and to become more like Jesus, not to have an easy life. That's his goal for us is to be shaped in the image of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when challenges are placed before us, it gives us opportunity to grow. And the, and the word of God tells us that the way that we respond to those, we should use them as growth opportunities and to really not, not seek revenge. You know, if you study both, Paul, Paul also talked about this as well as Peter. Neither one advocated for slavery, but they were both sending a message theologically that being a Christian should make you a better slave. Hmm. They don't advocate it for, for, for slavery, but they advocated that the character of Christ within you should cause you to be a better slave in how you treat your master, hmm. how you respond when you're, when you're under authority. And so when I say don't seek revenge, uh, when, when injustice happens to us, again, let's go back to the life of Joseph. Um, we see such a wonderful example of all of these injustices happening in the life of, of Joseph, but his response and how he dealt with them was commendable to God. God was monitoring his response. And I think in so many situations that um, the enemy is skillful, that if, if he baits us into um, reacting in an inappropriate, ungodly way to things that happen in our lives, that we could be in many cases disqualifying ourselves mm -hmm. from other things that God have, has for us when those things that are meant to shape our character, when we, when we react and respond the wrong way, I think in many cases that we, we can be disqualifying ourselves. I, I've discovered that at some point, for example, unforgiveness, oh. that unforgiveness at some point becomes disobedience for a believer. Right. That we, we can justify and harbor these feelings and I'm never gonna forgive, I'm gonna hold on to this resentment, I'm gonna hold on to this bitterness, and two weeks, five weeks, a year, five years after, after it happens, at some point that unforgiveness becomes an, an issue of disobedience for the believer that now brings consequences. And what we're holding on to is the very thing that is hindering us from, from moving forward in the, in the purposes of God. I think it's really important as you talk about slavery and as you talk about freedom um, to differentiate yep. the, you know, what happens in domestic abuse situations yeah, yeah, or what happens, yeah. I mean, there's definitely people who mm -hmm. are in abusive situations yeah. that must get out yes. for oh, their yes, freedom. Right, right. You know, they're enslaved yep. to a mentality that's, that's corrupting mm -hmm. them and killing mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So getting out of that yes. is God honoring. So you're saying yep. that even, uh, you're saying, not to stay in those situations, Absolutely to not. free yourself yeah. and trust right. the Lord that yes. he's gonna take care of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when he calls us in Mark 8 to lay down our lives, yep. pick up our cross mm -hmm. and to follow him, that's the surrender that you're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. No, you, you said it you know, so well that in no situation does a zero victim mentality call for a person to stay in a position where they're being victimized or abused or, or experiencing an, an injustice at all. What, what a zero victim mentality does is that even as we exit those situations, it helps those situations to exit us. Yes. In other words, so listen, 
I, I say it, it took God all of an instant to deliver uh, the children of Israel from Egypt. It happened in a moment, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Took him just a few seconds to get them out of Egypt. Got them out of Egypt easily. But they wanted to go back. But he had trouble getting Egypt out of them. It took him 40 years to change their mindset. And it only took him a moment to physically deliver them. But they had to go through 40 years of a mind renewal process. You read about it with the spies that came back from the the promised land. You hear about them complaining against God, still building idols. We want to go back to Egypt. There was leeks there. There was onions. There's garlic. The garlic, the food was better. It was 40 years of God taking them literally around in circles because he was trying to get Egypt out of their mind. That even though they had been freed from slavery in Egypt physically, they were still in mental bondage. And that mental bondage, that victim mentality that they were experiencing in the wilderness was the very thing that caused them to be unfit for the promised land that God could not move forward in building Israel as a covenant nation to show forth the goodness and the purposes of God, the promise that God made to Abraham, that in you all the family of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless those that bless you. God could not use Israel to fulfill his promise to Abraham of, of communicating and showing his covenant to the world as long as they had the Egyptian mindset. As long as they were in Egyptian bondage, God could not establish the future of his covenant. And that's what happens many in t- many times in our own lives and why it's so important to develop a zero victim mindset is because victim thinking, it keeps us in the wilderness. Mm. And until we come out of the wilderness, we cannot step into the goodness and the promises of God, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. We never get there because God is still trying to extract victim thinking out of our lives, still trying to get us to 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 basically believe that we are who he says we are, mm-hmm. not who our ex-husband or who our ex-wife or who our third grade teacher or fifth grade teacher or what some some misguided racist person said something about you. God, it took a long time for him to free them and change their thinking. Mm. And what victim and victim victim thinking does is it keeps us trapped even in an identity mm-hmm. that is contrary to the identity that God himself has spoken over us and there can be no forward progress. Again, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that leads to life. It, it opens us up to living the life that God has created for us. And so again, this, this idea of mental transformation, I think it's been um, underrepresented. I think yeah. it's been something that we have not focused on enough. It's not new age thinking, but it's mind renewal by the spirit of God. It's Being scriptural. renewed in the spirit of our mind. Absolutely. Yeah. It's scriptural. I mean, I love how you say we're all into, you know, this group says this has, should yeah. have a right. And this yeah. group yeah. wants their rights. This yeah. group wants their rights. What happened to the unity of believers coming yes. together, praying for, yeah. Lord, what is, what is it that you put on us yes. so we may honor you and yes. do what is right? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now. I mean, I could talk to you about this forever mm-hmm. and ever. Um, I love the point that you said you start with a victory in yes. your mind. Yes. When you come to a challenge, yep. you see yourself already as overcoming it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you work backwards. Yes. Explain that process. That's sure. That's critical. Yes. It's, it's something I, I discovered and, and applied in my own life um, a number of years ago that uh, when I say envision your victory, um, that means starting with the end result, starting yes. with the outcome 
based upon what God has communicated in his word, based upon his plans and his purposes. In other words, you start with the ideal. Um, I think that is so important in terms of um, it's, it's literally just the life of faith, living out the life of faith and, and, and things according to uh, being what, what God's word says they should be and not living according to our own natural circumstances mm-hmm. or by sight. But as I, I've learned to envision the end result in terms of what it is that God has said, not some just nebulous idea or just pulling something out of the, out of the air, but what is it that, that represents the fullness of God's plans and purposes that's based upon his word? And the moment I can grab that concept, I exercise what I call reverse decision making, that I start from that place of envisioning the victory that Christ has, 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 has afforded us and begin to make reverse decisions from that point back to where I am. And then that gives me the appropriate next steps to take to get to the place that I need to be. And the reason that reverse decision-making is so important to me is because many times from where we are, if I start from where I am, I'm so limited in my perspective. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. You're under the cloud. My perception is wrong. And I'm I'm subject to um, these, these things that tend to cloud my vision. And, uh, you know, when you're when you're not calibrated and you're not really in the right position, you know, the word says in Romans eight or so that we don't we don't even know the things that we should pray for. That Sometimes we don't know what to do and what direction to take. But if we start by envisioning victory and beginning to work out and begin to work our way backwards from there, I found that it gives me a clearer um, exit strategy. It gives me a clearer um, uh, understanding of what direction I should go and what direction I should not go by, by envisioning the victory. Uh, let's use a practical situation. You know, if I, if I you know, wanted a better, better marriage in my home, let me start with the ideal. Hmm. Let's, let me, let's not have conversations from the place of rehearsing my pain and your pain. She does this, and you he did does this. that. Yeah, 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 that that's that is all unfruitful. Defeating. But if we sit down and say, let's talk about what a great, godly marriage looks like according to God's word. We have now envisioned the victory. Mm. And now let's begin to make some reverse decision making in terms of what are some things we can do on my part, on your part, to lead us to that position so that we can obtain that prize that the word of God has communicated to us. And so I think that is something that is so very, very important for us. And again, what the scriptures communicate in terms of, of, of what it means to live by, to live by faith. I, I find that it interesting. That is living by faith. I find it absolutely interesting that before we, we get there, God gives us Revelations chapter 21 and chapter 22, and he tells us how the story ends. Huh. And I think the fact that he gives us the opportunity to envision the new Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the new heaven and the new earth where there is no more weeping. God himself will be the light for that city. No more crying, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. God in his wisdom determined that it was necessary to give us some insight into the end victory and what the, what the finished scenario looks like mm. to help pull us through the challenges of life. Yeah. And so by showing us a snapshot of the end, mm. it's, it becomes something that draws us through our circumstances because we've envisioned the end of what the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth looks like. Mm. He, he could have just called us to live a life of faith and never spoke to us about the things of heaven and never spoke to mm. us about the the, the beauty of being in the presence of God and, and seeing the angels that are worshiping him and the, uh, the, the things that are transpiring. He could have easily left off the book of Revelation, but he shows us the end, knowing that the end has the power to pull us through all the difficulty, the challenges, the victimizations that we, we experience in life. We know that in the end, we win. 
we win, that we come out victorious. And I think that we many, many times in life we have to apply, apply that same principle to our Well, and we have, we have to hit the impossible. Yes. In yeah. order to cultivate that resilient mindset. Yes. Not yeah. just resilient, but obedient and surrendered mindset. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm thinking of Michael Phelps and the swimming, mm -hmm. it, as the swimmer, mm -hmm. every single time he, before he gets in that pool, yeah. he has earbuds in and he's envisioning a victory. Yes, yes. And then knowing, okay, this is where I want to get to, the gold medal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got to get in the pool every day and practice 10 to 12 hours a day. Yes. I've got to eat this stuff and to make my body strong. Yeah. I've got to work out. Yes. That's hard on his body yes. or on all of our bodies. Yeah. We get sore, but mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the challenges mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we know in the end that metal is coming. That's exactly And right. that's revelation. Right. Yeah. Athletes understand that very well, what it means to envision the victory. And it's, it's interesting that, that, that Paul and his theology and scripture gives us several analogies, gives us several references to athletes, you know, contending, running the race, you know, and uh, the race that is set before me, the Jesus himself for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. There's so many, so many analogies in scripture of how I, I discipline my body so that I'm not disqualified. We see that over and over again, that analogy in scripture, um, you know, even to athletics or sports in terms of how to endure and envision the outcome. For us to compete in a way that there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. You know, I've, I've, I've fought the good fight. You know, and so there's, there's all these references about God showing us a snapshot of the end, which, which motivates us and inspires us, mm -hmm. empowers us to live a life faith, of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. There has to be something hoped for before faith, before faith can operate. Yeah. You, cannot, you cannot operate in faith if there's nothing to hope for. Hope is the end result. This is what I'm hoping to see. Right. You know, I'm hoping to see this outcome in my family. I hope to see this outcome in my business. There's, there's, there are certain things I'm hoping for in our nation right now. I want to see awakening. I want to see revival happening in our, in our nation. I'm hoping for that. That's envisioning the victory. And then faith now is the substance of things hoped for. Faith can now grab hold of hope. It can grab hold of the thing that I'm envisioning to help pull us forward to move toward that destiny in God is something that we can we can experience by by his grace. Isn't that interesting? Paul never says, I've run the race and I love the hardships. Right. He says, I've run the race. Yeah. I fought the good fight yeah. and I enjoyed being sore. Yeah. He doesn't say that. <laughs> I fought the good fight. Sure. I've run the race. Sure. I've kept my eye on the goal. Yeah. But I also did these other things. It's he is straightforward mm -hmm. outlining for yeah. us. Yeah. This is how you're gonna win. Yes. Yes. And it's not gonna come from social law. Right. Civil law. Yeah. It's going to come from how you incorporate yep. spiritual law into yep. your life yep. and use that as a governor, the moral law inside of us. Absolutely. So as for anyone starting the day today or mm -hmm. at any time when they see this, mm -hmm. how can they begin being transformed mm -hmm. today? Yep. Going, going through this, this, this mind renewal process. I, I say that, that zero victim mentality, um, it causes us to act intelligently and not react emotionally. I think that in so many cases in life, we are, we are dominated by our emotional experience. That when, you, when we have conversations, even as a you know, as pastor, something that we hear, we hear so much in this, in this generation, I feel, mm -hmm. I feel, I feel, God never called us to live according to emotions. And I think that in many, many times we allow 
um, our emotions to dominate the reality of our circumstances instead of living by the truth that is based upon God's word. We have been called to be disciples, to be disciplined ones. And again, going back to that analogy that we're to endure um, hardship like a good Christian soldier, there's no soldier that goes into battle considering his feelings or her feelings. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have, feel like getting yeah, shot today. You know, I, <laughs> they, go in, they go into a situation on one premise, I have orders. My orders have told me to do this and I'm gonna do it minus my feelings, minus my emotions. And when the word of God communicates that we are disciples of Christ, Colleen, you're talking about people who have put their feelings on the shelf and have even entrusted their feelings and their emotions to God mm -hmm. to stand in obedience to his word. That regardless of how I feel, I live by faith and not by feeling. Mm -hmm. I live by faith in God's word, not by my natural feeling. And so for any, any person who's listening today, an immediate practical step that they can make is just to make that adjustment and to make that own commitment to resolve within their own hearts that I'm going to live by faith and not by feeling. I'm not going to give in to my emotions. I'm not going to give in to the, the pain, the hurt, the victimization, the offense, the bitterness, the woundedness, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. All of these things are expressions of, the, of victim mentality. I'm not going to live by those things. We're going to live by the principles and the truth. Of God's word. So it's getting into his word. I mean, in yes. other one of the things I've had my kids do is write down your feelings. Yes. Because they they come from a place that is saying, look deeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're not necessarily right or wrong, right. good or bad, they just yeah. are. Yep. Write them down yep. and then go to God's word and see what he says about that. Yes. You know, yes. I feel angry because this injustice happened and mm -hmm. he calls us to mm -hmm. forgive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel um, like Nothing good will ever come because I was born in this situation. Yes. God's word says, yep. I have overcome that. Yes. I've overcome the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have to, we have to get into his word. Mm -hmm. Yes. Before we can be transformed. Right, right. Everything begins with the, with the word of God to even dictate to us what we are to feel. One, one of the most amazing revelations that I've, I've discovered, um, you remember this, this, uh, scribe or lawyer comes to Jesus and has this conversation about uh, the greatest commandment. And Jesus makes this statement mm. that the first commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the thing that's so amazing about, my, about that statement to me is that Jesus is saying that the first and greatest commandment is a commandment to be emotional about God. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment is to become emotional about God. That's how powerful emotions are. And is the first commandment is not, uh, first commandment, stop doing this, stop right. sinning, right. don't commit adultery. Don't. It's not on the don'ts. It's, it's not on the don't side, the negative side. Don't do this. The first and greatest commandment is to become absolutely emotional about God. If you can steer and redirect your emotions from circumstances, from dealing with the people that have hurt you and the people that you won't forgive, if you can redirect your emotions from them and focus those emotions on God, Colossians chapter three, verse two says, set your affections on things above. Mm. That if we can steer our emotion toward God to be passionately and absolutely in love with him, Jesus says, that is the first and greatest commandment. And everything else is subsequent to that first, commotion, uh, first commandment. 
of being emotional about God. Mm. And if you get that right, all of the sins and the things that, that grieve the Holy Spirit, all of the things that the infractions and the iniquities and the transgressions, all of those things are minimized and go away if our hearts can be 100% mm. engaged in loving God and loving his word. I think that's an amazing, amazing idea. I think that's transforming. Yeah. Now, as we come to a close, I don't want our time to end, sure. but as we, as we come to a close, first is to get our emotions, um, our passions mm -hmm. directed Godward. Yes, yes. And then it's to live in his word, if I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. That frees yeah. us. Right, right. Yeah. Without God's word, we have, we have no bearing. You know, we, again, we, 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 we're, we're incalibrated. We're not properly calibrated in our relationship with life outside of the truth of God's word. And the more we continue to engage in the, in the word of God, the Bible says is that, that we're, we're cleansed by and transformed by the, the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that even as we immerse ourselves in the scripture, we need it to wash over us. It's, it's thought replacement therapy that we're, we, we pick up corrupt wisdom. You know, it's amazing on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he, he, he doesn't say on the day of Pentecost, be saved from hell. On the day of Pentecost, he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Mm. And perversion simply means is when you, when you use something for a purpose other than which it was created, at that point it becomes perverted. It's, it's, you're using something to perform a task that it was not created for. And it's interesting that, that Peter says on the day of Pentecost, be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, be saved from the, the misguided ways of the world. The world and humanity is not fulfilling its purpose. Be saved from that. Mm. Come out of this corrupt wisdom. And the only way for us to come out of the corrupt wisdom of the world, James chapter three, verse 15 and verse 17, says there's two kinds of wisdom. The first kind of wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. But in verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that is from above. Mm. It is only through God's word that we're able to uh, come out of this earthly, corrupt wisdom and to actually begin to put on the mind of Christ and to embrace the wisdom that is from above that puts our life on the right trajectory, on the right uh, track so that we can move forward into greater fruitfulness. And again, all of that transpires not only in the heart, but also in the mind, which is why we have to shake this victim mentality and begin to uh, move into a zero victim mentality, which is the mind of Jesus Christ. Think, think about this, that zero victim mentality is the mind of Christ. The, the greatest injustice that the world has ever known or will ever know happened to the only innocent man that walked the face of this planet, who was Jesus. He was the only innocent man. The, the one person who was uh, least deserving, undeserving of any, any suffering, the greatest injustice happened to the only innocent man. And that is the premise upon which we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so anything else that we experience in life, again, we have to bring that back to the standard of the cross to know that, that because Jesus went through what he went through for me, I can go through the things that are set before me, not because of me, in spite of me, yeah. but because of what he's done. It brings us to the place that we can operate with, with zero victim mentality. And that is why we can love our enemies. Not because it feels good, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an instruction and a commandment. Because what he did. Because for, it, for us to draw on the grace of God. I often, I often tell leaders and business people that anytime 
we begin to experience burnout and we begin to experience frustration, mm -hmm. it simply means that we're not tapping into the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Because Paul tells us, God speaks to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. So anytime we're experiencing insufficiency, and he tells him, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Anytime we're operating on the weakness side, on the victim side, we're not experiencing the sufficiency of God's grace. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we operate in God's grace, we're, we're always strengthened with the capacity that we need to go through and to be victorious over the things that we're facing. And anytime we get away from that and we start to feel, you know, I'm ready to quit, I'm just gonna throw in the towel, I'm burned out, I'm, I'm under done. the clouds, I'm under the clouds. All it means is that we're not tapping into the grace of God. We need them to elevate us above those clouds. We've gotta have a heart, a heart change. We've gotta have a change of mindset from victim mentality to zero victim mentality. So I, I just wanna, wanna encourage as many people as we can uh, we're so grateful that the book is doing well and it's, it's still gaining momentum. And it's, I'm touched by the testimonies that come in of how marriages have been changed and businesses have been changed. We've got to continue to move from victim mentality to the zero victim mindset. I'm ready to have an altar call. You know, that's <laughs> <I> know. right. <laughs> well, James, how can people find you? I know that yes. you have um, your site. Yes, at jamesewardjr.com. James E. Ward Jr. Or here's an easier, easier one. If they just go to zerovictim.com as well, they can find me. They can find more information about the book, pick up a copy of the book, so and good. hear podcasts, all those things at zerovictim.com. You also have cultural conversations. Yes, we broadcast on a daily basis in Chicago with Salem Media Group, and so we're thankful for the, for the broadcast ministry you, as well. You've also started revivingnations.org. Yes, yep. I have a colleague from Florida, uh, Mark Daniel. We traveled together, and uh, we've been in five, five nations in the past year and a half or so. Wow carrying the message of, of awakening and revival to the church. And we're, we're so grateful um, that the nations are opening up to us as well. And so God's been really good to us. Well, if you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, I would love to hear from you. I know James would love to hear from you yes. as well. And just know that you don't have to stay under the clouds or stay in the circumstances, mm -hmm. but embrace the truth of Christ, which he outlines in his word. Yes. And it's so simple. Mm -hmm. We make it complex, don't it's we? Yeah, it's so simple. Right. Yep. But please connect with Reframing Ministries or connect with James and um, let us know how we can be of support to you as you walk forward with great hope and with a transforming mindset. Thank you so much for being to, being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation, yeah, James. Yes, it has. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on the Reframing Ministries podcast. For more information and resources, visit insight.org slash special needs.